And if you would be so good as to turn in your copies of God's Word to Psalm 146. Psalm 146. If you are following along in the Pew Bible, that's page 622. 622. We're taking a brief break from our journey through Genesis as we prepare ourselves for this Advent season. I thought this was a wonderful psalm that will remind us of where we've been and will help carry us into where we're going as we go into this Christmas season together. So, I will read Psalm 146, the whole psalm, and then we will pray. But let's listen very carefully, because this is the word of the Lord that is for you today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's now pray and ask God's blessing as we look at this wonderful passage more closely. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. For this word that you have given to us, this reminder that we need all the time. So help us to be reminded of it afresh today. May it sink from our minds to our hearts as we enter into this season. I'll ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we come into this Christmas season, I often think about what Christmas was like as a child and what made these things so special. And I think a lot of it, a lot of our pleasant memories around the Christmas season is from the fact that we didn't have to do any of it. The magic of the holiday was supplied to us. This was something that we looked to and found joy and trust from our parents to provide. It was fun watching your dad provide the Christmas tree, either by sawing it together or by solving the inscrutable puzzle as to where the branches went on the artificial tree. But maybe I think perhaps maybe why Christmas, instead of being a pleasant reminder of things of the past, is more of a painful one, is because you didn't have that. You didn't have someone who was providing for you in the ways that you should have been. 
And a lot of this then comes down to how we look at the holiday and how we look at this season as who are we trusting? A lot of times these things, this season becomes a source of anxiety for many people. Ultimately because they're trusting in themselves to get this all done correctly. To pass on traditions to them that they've been given. To make sure all the parties are attended, the presents are wrapped, and all these things becomes a stress because we don't have anyone else to trust but ourselves. Or so we think. That's what I'm hoping this passage will remind us of. What I have for you today is a very, very simple outline. Something I'm, I'm hoping you have heard many times before. You can see here on this, here in the first part, powerful people don't last. And the second point is God is faithful forever. Usually when we experience anxiety or problems in our Christmas season is because usually we're trying to hope for some sort of powerful person. Whether that's someone external to us or is us, we find ourselves a lot harder to praise the Lord. But when we're trusting in God, we find him faithful forever. We can find ways to praise him even when things are difficult. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to see how the psalm lays this out. So let's begin here in Psalm 146. Starting in verse 1. The psalmist begins with a praise to the Lord and is a command to everyone else who's listening to join him in this praise. Then he goes on to say that he will praise the Lord as long as he lives and sing praises to his God for as long as he has his being. This is interesting. There's a couple different elements that's going on here. When he's saying that he will praise the Lord as long as he lives, and indeed, if you were singing in our in our song today, you were saying the same thing. We will praise him as long as he lives. This is an admission that at one point, at some point, our life will be over. It's an admission that we don't last either. But our Lord does. He is the Lord to all generations, even when we're not able to praise him on earth anymore. He will still be around for the rest of the generations to praise. So another element here. That he will praise the Lord for as long as he lives, is something one of my old seminary professors pointed out, is that this proves that this psalmist is willing to praise the Lord beyond the mood of the moment. He's going to praise the Lord all the days of his life, not just the good ones, not just to church, lifted up when there's Christmas and tinsel and everything's great, or when you're surrounded by hospital monitors. We have both of those days, don't we? And here the psalmist is committed to praising the Lord at all of those times with each. And notice also, and we've covered this as we're looking in Genesis. Note that word that comes up over and over again, praising the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. This isn't just a generic God. As we've covered here before, when we see that word Lord in all caps, it's referring to God's personal name, Yahweh. Meaning that this was the name that was revealed to us when he made a covenant with humanity. I am who I am is how Yahweh would be translated. The I am, the ever-present. But he's given us his name, so we have a relationship with him. That's a very different way of praising God, isn't it? We don't praise a title. We praise a person. A person who has a relationship with us. 
The phrase, long live the king, is very different when it comes from a subject or when it comes from a sibling. When you are, when the king is your brother or your father, saying long live the king means something very different, doesn't it? It's not just a phrase you use for royalty, but as a genuine wish for a father or a family member. And it's the same thing here. When we're praising the Lord, yes, this is also the God who made heaven and earth, as we saw back in Genesis 1. But he's also the Lord, the one who keeps his promises. It's a reminder of the covenants that he's already made and has given to us in praising him for here. That's why we're able to go beyond, as my professor points out, we're able to go beyond surface-level emotions. This is the Lord, the one who's made heaven and earth and has kept heaven and earth. But yet, we would think that would be all we'd have to say. Verse 1 and 2, praise God. He's the one who made the place. He's the one who holds the place together. There's really no one else to talk about, is there? But our hearts are so easily pulled away from that, aren't we? That's why he has to remind us in verse 3 to put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. Now for us, for those of us who have grown up now with the 24-7 news cycle of political gossip, we have learned not to trust in politics, or I hope we have anyway. But we still very easily put our trust in powerful people. Even if we're saying, it was like, well, I don't put my hope in anybody. It's like, well, do you fear them? Fear is just trust in reverse. You're afraid of what they will do to you, of the power that they have. And indeed, we have some very powerful people. Back in this time, being a prince meant you had access to taxes and food. And not much has changed even into today. They're just not royal anymore. You heard... The names Ryan, Ryan McHenry and Michael Meikbach. Have you heard those names? Well, if you haven't, those are the CEOs of Visa and MasterCard who process 80% of all of your credit and debit transactions. Those are some powerful people. I'm not here to say whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. But we live in a world in which is controlled by a very few very powerful people. If you're watching me right now through this little camera, you can thank Mr. Mark Zuckerberg. I'm using his product to broadcast to you. Or if you're listening to me via podcast, you can thank Steve Jobs, whose iPhone I'm recording to. Or you can look at the CEOs of those two computer companies. Their software runs 90% of all the things that make our world go. And it's very easy when we start thinking about these things to begin to put our trust or our fear in the hands of these men. We go through this every four years when it comes time for elections, local or otherwise. We watch our news broadcast very nervously to see who is going to be in charge now. I'm not saying that these things are unimportant or that, these, or that there aren't places of conversation to figure out how we can rein in our natural human evil when given a lot of power. That's not my point here. My point here is to get to verse 4. 
For it says, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And on that very day, his plans perish. No one is permanent. And in fact, the only reason why any of us exist for any length of time is because the Lord is actively holding our bodies together. Every credit transaction that is run through these companies is governed by the Lord. And at any moment, as we've seen happen many times, CEOs get replaced, companies implode, plans come to ruin. If you'd ever like an experiment on these things, try backing off the news for about a month. But keep talking to somebody who is connected to those things. And just watch how this thing that was such the, that was the end of the world last week is a non-issue now. We see it happen again and again and again. So he's telling, don't put trust in these people. There's no salvation to be found there. There's no hope to be found there. Because the moment his breath expires, he returns to the earth from whence he came. And all the things that he's made from it. Indeed, all these things that we look at and marvel with our technology is just reconfiguring the stuff that God already gave us. When you think about it, all these microchips that run all of our credit cards and things, when you ultimately boil them down, is just dirt and some other things we've combined together. We don't pulling out microchips out of thin air. It's recreating what the Lord has already given. So don't put your trust in them. Not from CEOs, not presidents. Instead, Put your trust in the Lord, as we see here in verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Of course, this is an often used term, the God of Jacob is one of the, the founding fathers of Israel. But it's more than that. The God who was faithful to Jacob a good thousand years from this point where the psalm is being written. Same God that was faithful to the promises that he's made to him. To, the, to Jacob he had promised, just like he had promised to his forefather Abraham, that there would be a great nation. That there would be a land for them. And now this psalm is being sung in that reality. Here we are, a great multitude of people with our own land and nation. He's been faithful to his promises to us. So beyond just a title, but this is a recognition of what God has already done for his people. And he goes on, he's beyond just a promise-keeping God. But indeed, he is a very powerful God. He's the God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Keeps faith forever. We too often just gloss over that. And especially at that time where it was thought that there were a lot of different gods that ruled all the different departments. The god of the sea, the god of the air, the god of the garden, all these things. And the fact that you could centralize all of that power, all of that authority in one person should be terrifying to us at one level. If we didn't know how good God was, that should scare us every day. But he is good. And he holds his promises together. But then we have some questions when we get to verse 7. Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry and sets the prisoners free. 
It's easy for us as Christians to gloss over these things and pretend like there's not questions about that. Genuine questions. We say he is the God who executes justice, who stops those who are oppressing. We say, why are there still people that need this? There are prison, people who are in prison who shouldn't be. There are people who are oppressed that shouldn't be. We see wars that are happening that shouldn't be happening. And sometimes the world is better at asking questions than we are. And asking, well, where is God in all of that? Now, for the world, that question is meant to be as a thought that that, or that, that question doesn't have an answer. But for those of us who have watched our Lord for a while, knows that there is an answer to that. Because we can look back through history when we see what God does. I was reminded in preparation for this that he feeds the hungry. Back in the late 60s, early 70s, people were running around convinced that we were going to run out of food. And our population was growing to such an extent that we wouldn't be able to feed everybody with the kinds of crops that we were able to grow and would lead to mass starvation. In fact, people were so sure of this, they were thinking about putting sterilization fluids in our water to try to help control population, the ways of men indeed. Well, it turns out this was proposed in a book called The Population Bomb. Well, right about that year, we discovered how we can genetically cross certain crops. And we went to a place like India that went from a starving country to exporting grain in two or three years. It's known as the Green Revolution in the late 60s, different from the Green Revolution that we see today. This was one of feeding people. The Lord provided for his people, gave people who had minds to think through these sorts of problems. He has fed his people. When we think about those great empires that were once feared in every place where their name was mentioned. We don't even know where they are today. The Assyrians? Have you seen a Babylonian lately? Or the Romans? The Ottomans? The Nazis? The Soviets? All these people that we saw rise and fall. Some of them you even remember. Drilling, hiding under your desk, to now wondering how there's still a country anymore. Oftentimes we think God's not faithful because we don't have a very good memory. We don't write stuff down. We don't look back at history. God has been very faithful to his people. But then the answer might be, well, so why is he so slow? The Nazis had a number of years to do their work. The Romans ruled the world for, depending on how you render it, anywhere from 500 to 1,000 years. Why does God take so long? Well, there's two answers to that. One, we don't deserve a swift answer. We need to remember who we are. We're part of the rebel camp, by the way. Because if the Lord was to execute justice immediately and crush all evildoers as soon as they commit evil, I wouldn't survive to the end of this sermon. I'd like to think that I proclaim all of this out of the pureness of my heart, but I know that's not true. There's a mixture of pride even now. And the Lord is merciful to me. 
If he was to stop all evil, none of us would exist. It's easy for us to look and point out there at the oppression that's happening out there and never stop to think about how much of that exists in our own hearts still. He does execute justice, but he gives you time so that he might show you his mercy. There have been many stories of those who had escaped justice in the Nuremberg trials or the war crimes that the Nazis had committed, and some of whom had sent many to death, found Jesus in that intervening period and found forgiveness from Christ. That's the kind of God he is who will wait to give you time, many years sometimes, so that you can see him and find forgiveness from him. I'm glad he waited on me. Took me a minute. How about you? Because the Lord is the one who opens the eyes of the blind. He sets the prisoners free. He lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. This is a good reminder to us. I think this is going to be something that will be more and more relevant to us in the coming years. We have enjoyed a lot of freedom and assumption here in this country. Something that probably isn't going to last, although we say that all the time. But it's a good reminder to us when we are bowed down, when it feels like we're down and out, when it feels like doing this thing is for nothing. What's the point of being good if it doesn't get us ahead? We know that the Lord loves the righteous. He watches over those. He watches over the sojourners or the stranger, the foreigner. Upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. So many times when we, for, for those of us that have gone through real hardship in life, we can often wonder, well, where was God when I was being abused? Where was God when I was having all of these issues? Well, the answer is he's right here. He's brought you here. He's got you to this point. Believe it or not, he has a way of making even the most horrible thing that has happened to you work out for your good and his glory. I know it doesn't seem like that right now. But he's done a lot of interesting things in history. He's turned a lot of things around, including the death of the Messiah. We have been reading all through Scripture. We're waiting for the promised one to come. Trusting that he's going to be the one that will deliver us from sin. And finally he comes here in the New Testament. Born of a virgin, just like we promised. Born in the city of David, a son of David, just as promised. Heals nations. And then someone nails him to a cross, as we've confessed. By Pontius Pilate. I could imagine as a disciple, I might be thinking about what my allegiances might have been. Here's the one who can raise the dead and heal. And one word from Pontius Pilate, and all of a sudden he's on a cross. One might be tempted to think that perhaps Pontius Pilate was the one holding all the cards. And Jesus just got too free. But the Lord turned even that around, didn't he? 
when Jesus rose from the dead. First time that's happened. Someone raises himself from, from the dead. We've had people bring others back, but this will be the first time someone brought himself back. It's how the Lord works. So that's why we can respond in verse 10, that the Lord will reign forever. This is actually in the present tense in the Hebrew. He is reigning, and he's going to continue to do so. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Now, I was thinking about this, that the, the God of Miss Clyde, and all that she has seen, the Great Depression, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Cold War, September 11th, 2008 crisis, her own personal widowhood, and the 2020 pandemic. The Lord's brought her through a lot of things. And the God of Miss Clyde is the God of Augie. And he's brought him through a few things himself, hasn't he? He's the God of all generations. Who we can look back and see how he's been faithful to us personally. Those of us who have had longer lives and have experienced more of what this world has to offer can tell the next generation, the same God who's brought me through all these things is going to be faithful to you. This doesn't mean it's going to be easy. doesn't mean that suffering doesn't happen. But it does mean that there's victory in the end and that we can praise him. So what does this mean for you as we think about this Advent? Well, we will be rightly thinking about the birth of Christ for the next four weeks and seeing what that has done for us. But we should never forget that that is not Jesus' only trip scheduled here. Jesus isn't done. There is more to come. And that's what we have to think about. It seems like, and we say this every generation, but it seems especially true here, the world seems to be a very crazy place. There are fewer and fewer answers to questions that the world has seemingly for them. Science has taken them as far as they can. Their own wisdom has taken them as far as they can. And it's left them short. And we who have been following them are also been left short. Trust in Christ. Put your trust not in princes, not in parents, not in yourself. But trust in him the one who keeps his promises. And you will be able to have a very Merry Christmas because someone is taking care of all the things. Someone is providing for your future. So you can praise him today. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful moment where we remember what you have done for us, what you have willingly done for us. And I pray that you would help us to remember that. Help us remember you not only in your birth, but also in your death, in your resurrection, and one day in your return. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.